seated. Turn in your Bible this morning to Haggai chapter 1. As we continue through a series called Priority, looking at our lives and uh, the priority of worship that God has called us to and to be. Hey, I want to encourage you, starting this Wednesday night, 6.15, we've got discipleship classes going on, and we have an incredible lineup uh, to choose from. Some of, honestly, the top teachers in the world that are part of our church have agreed to, to teach classes. And so uh, as you leave, there's a, a sheet with those classes, or you can look online on the front page. If you'll scroll down, you'll see those. We're asking you to sign up online early just so we can pick the right rooms space-wise. But if you don't get that done, still join us Wednesday night. Jump in, pray, pray through where God would have you grow. Uh, and then our children's area, youth area as well, um, and, uh, and sojourn groups. So a lot of things starting up this week, and I'm excited about it. It was one of the, uh, an unexpected, incredible moment in my life. I was sitting on the piano bench at my piano teacher's uh, studio. I was 17 years old. I'd taken piano for 12 years, and uh, I had finished playing the piece I was supposed to prepare for that lesson. And to be honest, I had stunk it up pretty bad. Um, and that was kind of becoming the uh, for over the last couple months, I, I was not prepared. I had not practiced. I, I walked in and, and played. And I, I loved to take piano. Those were sweet years of my life. Did some competition things. But um, within that year, there were some other things that I had chosen uh, to do. And I'll never forget what she said. She, I finished and I, I put my head down because I, I knew I hadn't done what she had asked me to do. She was quiet for a minute. And then she said these words. Ben, I think it's time you consider stop taking piano lessons. I was crushed. I was like, wait a minute. This has been a part of my childhood. Like, I love to, to learn. I've loved to grow. I've loved been stretched in this area. And she, she knew and she said, look, there comes a time in life when you choose other things and you need to choose other things and you can't do everything. And that was my last piano lesson with her as I walked out some wisdom that she gave me in the moment. Because once you start down a path, and, and students, first, awesome to have you back. Hope it's been a great break. We're excited about the year. But one of the difficult things about being a student is when you start to make choices, that those choices then you don't, then you say no to other things. Like when you're in high school, like the world is yours. You can go anywhere, do anything. Uh, you know, there's many choices. But as you start to make choices, once you make a choice, that whittles other choices down. That can be a difficult thing. But every one of us has 24 hours in a day. We've all been given the exact amount of time within a day to accomplish things. And then we have to begin to make decisions. Okay, what do we do within those 24 hours that's going to make the biggest difference, the biggest uh, advancement of the kingdom in our life, if, if Christ is primary and the advancement of his kingdom is primary, then every decision is filtered through that filter of what's going to make the greatest impact for the kingdom. Well, the people of Israel are in a difficult spot. As we learned last week, it's, it's August 29th, 520 BC, and uh, harvest time has come. They've had several harvests that haven't gone well. And, uh, and so God sends a word through Haggai uh, to the leadership and to the people and says, hey, uh, look, 
your houses are, are finished, right? For 17 years, they had sat there. They hadn't continued the work of the temple. The foundation had been laid when they had come back, but now for 17 years, the people, they weren't anti-temple building. They just had gotten busy with other things. Other things came first. And so God sends in a, a word of love and says, look, I can't let you, like your houses now are done. You've, you've worked on your houses, but inside those houses, as you go out and you harvest grain, you're, you're in ruins. Like you're, you're working hard and not getting much. But if you'll realize my house in ruins really holds the key to a life of fulfillment, you would stop worrying so much about your house and start building mine. So he calls them to build his house. And we, we looked at the first half of that message last week, and today we're going to look at the second half. But if I'll, I'll remind you, we ended with the, the command of God through Haggai to consider your ways. Like, hold on, stop. What are you doing? And what is the result of what you're doing? And we pick that up in verse seven, the second half of this first message through Haggai. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He says it again. He said it in verse five. Now he says it in verse seven. If, if God tells you something twice, probably for a good reason. So once again, this, this command to pause, to look at your life, to consider your ways. But then he goes on, verse eight. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. So this command to consider your ways, I think in this way, it's this. Look at your past in order to dictate or change some things about your future. Uh, I love this thought. I heard it one time. You are perfectly positioned to get the results you are currently getting. In other words, if you're completely comfortable with the results you're getting in life, keep doing exactly what you're doing because those are the results you're getting. But if you want to make a change, if you're not happy with the results, it takes, it takes a, a consideration of ways to come back and say, okay, because I don't like the results of the past, I'm going to change some things so that the future looks different. And that's what God is calling the people to do. If you remember last week, God gave an incredibly visual picture of what's happening. He said, you're working hard, you're making money, and you're sticking it in a bag with holes in it. So as often as you're making money, it's just, it's flowing out, it's dropping, it's going along the wayside, it's meaning nothing. Is that what you're satisfied with? And then he commands them then to go, go out into the hills, bring back the wood. And then he asks something pretty incredible, build the house of the Lord. I want you to do it, Israelites. You to, to take the actions of obedience. Go and build here are commands that he's calling them to do. And let's just stop here for a minute and see what he's doing. He's not saying, hey, just if you'll, if you'll give me a five-minute quiet time, then you can go spend the rest of the day on however you want. He's giving them a, a difficult task that's going to require uh, some effort. Uh, now, the question is, is he meaning the hills here, the hills in Lebanon? Where is he meaning to go get the wood? Uh, Israel's not rampant with wood, but historians tell us the hills around Jerusalem would have had, had some trees and some lumber for them to gather. But we know they're not the large pieces of lumber that are going to hold the roof of the temple. Cyrus had given them money uh, to, to get those from Lebanon. So whether those have already arrived, whether he's telling them to go to Lebanon and get those and come back, or they've already come, we, we don't know. But the task is still the same. There is some personal ownership to our worship that he calls the people out on. 
He says, you're going to have to make an effort in this. I can imagine sitting at home that night. They've heard the, the word of, of Haggai and, and uh, uh, the man sitting with his family. And they say, well, Johnny's got this on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we've got, uh, you know, discipleship classes. Thursday is, um, you know, Bet Betsy has this. And, you know, our, our, our schedule's packed. And they're sitting there and they go, but, but Haggai just commanded us to go and get materials. Like, when are we going to fit that in? We've, we've still got some public problems at our own house. We've got to finish that. Uh, we'll get to that. That's been the problem. And yet now, right now, Haggai commands them to go. It takes effort. It also takes commitment. Sometimes it can be easier to just say, here, I'll give some money toward it than to do it. But the command is, you, Israelites, you go. You bring. You build. The worship of God, restore the worship of God among the people. Now, the stones for the temple, we're assuming when they destroyed the temple, they burned the temple when Babylon came in. The stones were there in, in piles of rubble, but stones don't burn, so they were probably readily available. So he's calling them to prepare first to then build what he's already called them to build. And then notice why. Look with me again in verse 8. Go up to the hills, bring wood, build the house. Here's why. That I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Two things. He says, here's why I want you to do this. One, I want to take pleasure in it. Pleasure, I think, in two ways. One, in them building it for him out of an act of worship and then for him within the, the ability to dwell with his people. I, I believe when we, in effort, seek to worship God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, when we put effort into it, it is an offering, a sacrifice that we seek to please the Lord and he can be pleased. You say, but Ben, doesn't God say, my righteousness is like filthy rags, I can do nothing in his sight, it's all through Christ, and yes, it is. But in Christ working through us, we can bring offerings of praise and build worship unto him. And that will take effort and commitment in the process that I may take pleasure. Here's why God has always taken pleasure in dwelling with his people. If you think about it, he's gone through some really big links to be able to do that. You've got God in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and what does he do? He walks with them in the cool of the day. He desires that relationship with them. And they, choosing to eat the fruit, choosing to disobey what God has said, create a chasm between the two. No longer are they walking in the cool of the day. And rather than just saying, fine, I'll leave you to your own ways, God wants to dwell with his people. And so what does he do? He says, we're going to create a tabernacle. It's going to move when you move, and it's going to be in the center of the camp. And you know what? There's going to be, I'm going to give you some exact representations because we got to do some things exactly right in order for a holy God to dwell with a sinful people. And day after day, the sacrifices of animals come before him, not as a once-for-all offering, just to cover the sins so that God can dwell in the holy of holies in the midst of his people. And that tabernacle becomes a temple. And because of the hard-heartedness of the people, the temple's destroyed. And now they've been called to rebuild the temple so that once again, God can dwell with his people. 
It's a reminder of uh, the great links he has gone to in sending Jesus now on the cross, paying as the sacrificial lamb for our sins so that he can dwell with us once for all, paying the price for our sins so that we can be the temple. Jesus in flesh. Now, Jesus says, it's better for that I go away. Why? So that the Holy Spirit can dwell you. We are the temple, the church, the body, and each of us as we leave this place continue to be the temple of the Lord. And it's worth effort to build. And it's worth effort to worship him. Why? Because he takes pleasure in it. He takes pleasure in a life wholly surrendered to him. God still takes pleasure in seeing his people rebuild the ruins of worship that sin has caused and see through his power and presence, see the, the, the worship of him restored to its original or to where, where it should be. Second thing he says, one, I'm, I take pleasure in two, so that I may be glorified. We use that term a lot, to, to glorify the Lord. What, what does that mean? I, one of the best explanations I've ever heard is this. It, it really is a reflection who he is coming here. Now, our, all of our life then seeks to reflect back to him everything that he is and that he does. In the same way that the moon reflects the sun, when we look at the moon at night, we're not like, hey, the moon did that. No, we're like, hey, the sun is reflecting on the moon. We see the effects of the sun through them. We are to be the reflection, God pouring into us through Jesus. Now we reflect to him every part of life, now reflecting him, showing back to him the glory that he deserves. So he says, I'm gonna be glorified. When this temple is built, I'm gonna be glorified in it. Why? Because in this little space in Jerusalem, a little people compared to other people. He just continually shows his faithfulness to them. I mean, this people that's been ransacked, that's been carried away, he's provided a way for them to come back. And even in their own sin, he's not uh, abandoned them, disciplined them, but now bringing them back to rebuild the temple so that when the world sees, when the world comes through this little piece of property, they're like, wow, their God is faithful to them. Like he has done what he said he has done. And so that brings glory to him. When we as a body of Christ come together and boldly proclaim his faithfulness and we leave here in our neighborhoods and we boldly proclaim his faithfulness, he receives the glory. Why? Because he's done what he said he would do. So it begs the question, when we talk about the priority of worship, what then is worship? Is it just singing? Is it just gathering? Is it just, how do we define worship if it is to be the priority of our life? And I'm not defined it thus far because I, I wanted us to wrestle with it first, but let me give you an attempt. There's many great uh, definitions and many books that have been written on the subject, but one of my favorite, it's more of a comprehensive definition, comes from a man named Warren Wiersbe. And here's what he said. Worship is the believer's response, and I've put that in the... Uh, highlighted that, of all that he is, his mind, emotions, will, and body, to all that God is and says and does. So once again, as he has revealed himself, 
then how we respond to that becomes our worship. When something else reveals itself to be treasures in our life and we choose to then respond to that in worship, all that we are and is, that becomes a worship of a false god or an idol. But who he is, all of our response, our mind, will, emotions, and body, to all that he is first, just the very being of God, but not just that, what he says, what he's revealed in his word, and what he does, what he has done in Christ Jesus, what he is still doing among us today. And that becomes a wholehearted effort to worship the Lord. Therefore, everything is a response. Everything becomes worship. So yes, as I said last week, we should worship the Lord as we, we go to sporting events or go fishing or go golfing or do our hobbies or whatever. They become a response because God's given us good things. But those are in addition to not an exception of what he has described in, in his word. There's nothing wrong with building your house. And, and I believe the Israelites can build their house in worship. The problem is they've mixed up the priority and they've forgotten that God described what they should be doing together in the worship of God. And so it's in addition to not exception of what God's prescribed in his word. So worship is a response of our mind, our heart, our will and action. And one scholar this week pointed out, and I thought it was really good, the, the, within this first message, you have an appeal to worship God in, all, in your mind. First he says, look, consider this. Your houses are done, my house is not. What he's calling the people to do is to worship the Lord through their mind to go, you know what? I think we need to change our mind. We're not thinking about this. We've been so focused about our own lives. We're not thinking about this in, in proper perspective. And then he appeals to the heart. He says, consider your ways. Like what has been the, the motive behind what you've been doing? And bring that to light. And, and God demands worship of our mind and our heart. And then he says, and then he, he commands them of the will. All right, now that we see that, now I want you to worship me with, my, with your will, which means I want you to take the time and the effort to get up and to go and to bring and to build the worship of God. Next week, we'll find they do it. And we have the worship of action. Not just the worship of the mind and making the decision, but the worship of action toward God. Why is that important? God redirects Israel's effort. They're trying really hard, trying to provide for their family, trying to do what's best for them. They've just gotten out of whack. Look at verse nine. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, notice this. I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. God doesn't mix words here. He's like, I know you've been working hard and you know what, there's been holes in your money bag and the, the grain is so puny that when you thresh it, the wind just blows it away. But notice this, it wasn't the wind, it was me. I did it. I blew it away. The Lord takes complete responsibility for the famine. Why? Because what they've been doing has been effort and wasted effort. They've been working so hard out of whack. God cannot allow that to take place when our hearts and lives have been created first and foremost to be a response to him. 
And so he says, I, I take responsibility. You want to get angry at somebody? Get angry at me. I did this because I care about you too much. I love you too much to let you live your life in out-of-balance priorities. It's football season. Not, I mean, not really in Texas anymore, but um, you know, there's still some playoff games being played. One of the most intriguing things to me is in the football game, a play is, is called, the play is ran, and there's a flag thrown, and the play continues. And it ends up being a big play. And uh, somebody will run for 50 yards for a touchdown. The team's all screaming and yelling. And an amazing amount of effort has been placed into that play. And then the official says, holding offense. And it comes all the way back. And in fact, you're, you're further, you're worse off than when you started. And that poor guy who ran it is completely out of breath and they don't stop for him to recover. He's got to get back in the line or get out of the game to have the chance to recover. Why? It's a whole lot of effort, but it's an effort in the wrong place. It's wasted effort. And that's the picture of what they've been doing. They've been trying hard, just in the wrong place. See, discipline is always a gift from God to redirect our worship. Don't miss it. When, when God brings discipline, and, and he says in Hebrews 12, 6, he's going to discipline the ones he loves. And so I hope that we are accepted and, and ready to receive the discipline of the Lord. Not in punishment of sin, that's been taken care of at the cross, but God loves us enough to redirect us and to push us toward a better and a fuller temple of worship toward him. And so the why he just says, because my house is still in ruins and your house is complete, you've misplaced the worship, I, I can't allow this to happen. Discipline is a good thing. As parents, I highly recommend it. We need to discipline our children. Why? We want them to function in society as adults. More than that, we want them to have a heart that longs for the things and the worship of Jesus. I'm thankful at school for a, a teacher that wrote in red ink and said, here's some things you need to change. Why? So that I could learn those things and be disciplined in the process. We see in the military a highly disciplined uh, environment that helps people achieve their best. When God disciplines us, it's to see us flourish in his worship. It's to redirect our worship from other things and say, you know what, that's not important. I'm gonna pursue him more. And notice, look at verse 10. He says, therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I've called for a drought on the lands and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beasts and all their labors. In other words, and guys, I've called the famine and I can do it all day long. I can keep bringing it. You can keep trying. You can keep working. You can keep saying, I'll do it my way. And I, I'll, you can do that all day long. And you know what? I've called for a drought. It's gonna continue as long as you wanna pursue it in your own strength. As long as you wanna have out of balance priorities why? Because I love you too much to let that take place. Isn't that amazing? God just owns it. He says, yeah. That is the heart. Worship is that important to me that you would rebuild the ruins of worship. And he says, I'm, I'm calling the heavens and the earth in on this. Heavens, 
Don't produce dew. Earth, don't. We're, we're going to do this as a team until they recognize what must take place first. I find it fascinating. The same God who spoke creation into existence, who set up those processes of dew in an agrarian culture, the, the necessary, the necessity of, of water and, and dew in order for fertile land. He spoke creation into existence and now he speaks drought into existence. All for his glory and honor. See, protecting the priority of worship takes right focused effort. I want to unpack that just a little bit. One, I want us to look at the word effort. Uh, not in our own strength or power and not for salvation. But, but I think in our society today, we have developed maybe a, a culture that says, hey, I want to worship God as little as possible and check it off the list so that then I can go do what I want to do. I, I was driving down the road. This was several years ago in Texas. I don't know if the sign's still there. Don't, don't uh, call the church, but there used to be a sign um, on the highway, one of the major highways in Texas, and it was a church right there and this giant banner and it said 30-minute worship. And I was like, 30-minute worship? Like, I, I get what they were trying to say. We have a short worship service. You can, you can get on about your day. One, the way we say things matters. So I'm like, no, worship is all of life, not 30 minutes. But there's this idea or thought, hey, you could get in, satisfy God, get him off your back. Now you can go out and have plenty of time and get to everything else you want to do. And I think in our culture, we're missing the depth, the comprehensiveness of what it means to live a life to worship to God, not in 30 minutes, but in all of life. And yes, as a body, as the temple of God called the church, we come together not just for a moment to check it off to live, but we come to be encouraged and to worship the Lord together so that then we can leave and worship the Lord as we, the church, take it to our neighborhoods as well. Our goal as the church is that we would honor and please him in everything we do while we're gathered and while we go. So it does take effort. And God doesn't shy away from that. Go, bring, build. But it's right focused effort. It's not just effort. We have some of the busiest, hardest working uh, people ever, more, more focused and energized Corey Boom said it this way, if, if the devil can't make you sin or can't destroy you through sin, he will try through busyness. He will make you busy. And the point that she was making is that sin and busyness kind of do the same thing. It, connect, it, it cuts off your connection with others. You're so busy, you're running, making so much effort, and guess what? Your, your marriage, your spouse, your, your time with your kids, those relationships are going to suffer. Why? Because those things don't happen through busyness. But most important, our relationship with the Lord suffers in those moments. So when the devil can't get you to sin, he makes you busy so that that relationship can be prevented. Because here's, here's the part we don't love. Every yes we say, is a no to an infinite number of other things. 
You cannot say yes to something with only 24 hours in the day without saying no to other things. So when we say yes to something, it's the recognition that when I say yes, just like I had to do at the piano, to say, you know what, I've said yes to some other things, I'm gonna need to say no to some things. So I've got a, a uh, quick object lesson as we wrap this up uh, that I wanna encourage you with. Guys, go ahead and bring this stuff. So you've probably seen this before, so this will not be a surprise to you, but uh, one of my favorites. So life is filled with wonderful, wonderful things. All kinds of different things that we can use for, for good and, and for God. And, and let me assure you, they're very good. And we, we like to do those things uh, that we like to do. And so we fill our day, our 24 hours a day, with so many things that are tasty. Well, as you know, there's also some things we need that are priorities. The worship of God in our individual lives and hearts. How's your quiet time? But not just your quiet time, the access of God to your whole calendar. When we get the chance to, to spend time with people, encourage them, walk with them as well. Your family, the worship of God in your family is really important. And so, hey, how am I doing in leading times of worship with my family at home, helping them grow as well with the church? And then there's using my gifts for the body of Christ. And as you can see, Sometimes it doesn't all fit real good. What are we going to do? Well, a lot of times what happens is this. We say, okay, I can't do it all. This week, gathering with my church family, I'll put that on hold. Um, and I'm still going to, but still going to worship the Lord with, with these areas and still do all this. Awesome. Uh, but you know what? I want to do church. So now I'm going to take it. And, and our life sometimes becomes an act of removing priorities within our lives. Well, if you know this illustration, you know that the, the solution is not to start with the M&M, but to start with the priorities of life, to say, hey, I'm going to worship the Lord first and foremost in my life, in, in all of life as a response to him, and that's going to include time every day with the Lord, uh, repenting of sin, walking with him. Then my family or my friends that I'm called to walk in community with, my small group, I'm going to invest in them as well for the worship of God and, and utilize them. And then and, uh, and my church, using my gifts for the body of Christ, I'm going to become a person that invests in the body of Christ. And then as the, the illustration goes, you pour some M&Ms in. Give it a little shake, and they almost all fit. And that's perfect, except it's a big lie. Because here's the thing. I prepared this ahead of time. On Friday, I came and I measured out exactly how many M&Ms, oh, got one more, exactly how many M&Ms would sit there. But that's not reality of life. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it all fit in a beautiful little body? But we all know that there's always more M&Ms. There's always more M&Ms. And so at some point, at some point, if we're to keep the worship of God priority, it's all right, I'll clean it up. <laughs> at some point, we got to say no. we got to realize that in our finiteness, we cannot do everything. We haven't been created to do everything. And therefore we come to him and we say, okay, I'm gonna do 
what you've called us to do. I'm gonna use apples as the primary and the M&Ms also to worship you and to live on mission. But at the end of the day, I have to say no, there will always be more things that we can add. The call to the Israelites is to go and build. And that's gonna require them to stop doing some other things, to be able to do what God has called them to do and to rebuild the worship of God. Here's my challenge to you today. Since the Cowboys aren't playing, this afternoon or evening, you gather, maybe you're gonna gather with you and your family or your spouse. If you have your whole family, I would encourage you to gather around the table. And I want you to define your apples. And say, here's the non-negotiables in the worship of God that as a family or as an individual, I'm gonna hold fast to. Those become priority. And name them. Name them, if you've got kids, name them with your kids so that they understand this comes first. And then choose some M&Ms that you can worship God in and enjoy the beauty of the creation around and fill those schedules up with those M&Ms. But then whatever's left, you gotta say no to. You gotta say no. You say, Ben, that's hard because in my life, I still wanna take piano or whatever that piano is for you. I still wanna do these other things. Or I want my kids to have these experiences. And if I say no, maybe they won't have them and maybe they, they won't get to experience what other people do. And I would just encourage you with this. Remember two weeks ago, the words of Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Do we trust him enough that if I start saying no to some of these things, that he'll still give me what I need? Do we trust him enough that if I start saying no to some of these things so that the priority of worship becomes primary, that he'll give my kids what they need? That becomes the question. It's a matter of trust. Would you bow your heads? Lord, as we enter into a response of worship, time of responding to what you've called us to do, I just pray for obedience in our heart. Lord, this afternoon, families and, and people would look at their calendars and begin to say, hey, our, our task is to go and bring and build first and foremost worship within our lives, within our family. So Lord, would you guide us through this process so that we might see you glorified and that you would take pleasure in everything that we do. And we'll give you the honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. As we respond, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ and realize your, your life is all uh, messed up and the beauty of Christ is he is sufficient, I would encourage you to trust Christ today. You obey him as he's calling. Would you stand? Let's sing.